0: Take your seat, movie fans. The film is about to start. Welcome to Crafted Services, the show where we look back at the Bad films of cinematic history, the movies that critics rejected but audiences embraced. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, aka Caliban. I'm also the host of the Just Enough Trope podcast and the Enterprising Individuals podcast on the Just Enough Trope Network. You can find out more at justenoughtrope.com. I'm not alone on the show today. I am joined by writer and movie critic Mark McPherson of Moviespoon.com. Say hello, Mark. Hey, what's going on? It's good to have you on the show. You're an author as well as a critic. Can you tell us about your work?
1: Uh, yeah, I've written a few fiction books, but I mostly like to write about movies. I wrote um, the book "The Great Animated Movies" and "Pixels to Premieres: A History of Video Game Movies."
0: So specifically, films that were like adapted from video games,
1: um, adapted from video games, based on video games, and video game documentaries. So. Wide range of video game movies.
0: Oh, great! Okay, so uh, I saw a video game documentary recently. It was the one, and I can't remember the title, but maybe you've seen it about them looking for the um, ET cartridges in the desert.
1: Yep, Atari uh, Game Over. Yeah, that Game Over. That's team. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: what'd you think about that one?
1: Uh, it was neat for more of like the history of Atari uh, uh, outside of the the three hour dig for the. Because uh, like the, the three hour dig is kind of neat, but I don't think it's it's interesting enough. Like a, a lot of people gathered around it. It's like yeah, it's kind of a pop culture icon, right? Um, but I, I found the the history of Atari much more interesting, which they kind of glaze over most of it. It seems like there's a whole movie in there, and it's only like about I think the movie's only about like an hour long. Yeah,
0: um, I thought I felt that that was really uh, more interesting as well than looking at uh, talking to the guy that created like Yars' Revenge or, or whatever, and just seeing how. What kind of resonated with people back then, as far as a video game goes, and how they even thought that ET would be a good idea, or at least how it was, you know, programmed in a matter of weeks or whatever. Uh, you, you can tell it's not—it's not very good.
1: No, it was. Yeah, it was definitely one of those things that just, you know, rushed out because money was flowing from everywhere. So <laughs> right, exactly bound to come crashing down.
0: Yeah, uh, I don't know how that relates to what we're going to talk about today, but uh, I'd like to ask: you, How did you become a film critic?
1: Um, well, I started writing about uh i don't know like i just started like writing in the blogging age when it was everything was starting to take off like um there used to be a time where uh, i'm not sure if it's still there but like rotten tomatoes used to have like a huge blog section where you could start up like your own page and everything hmm. um and i just started writing through there and started writing for different junkets uh, all, all around the place and then just started looking for anyone who's looking for movie reviews and just just kept on writing
0: sure yeah, as a critic, I'm sure you have to see, you know, everything, if not most things. And outside of just rank professionalism, how do you impartially approach a film that you wouldn't regularly have wanted to see? Um, uh, and are there any films that you went to thinking, you know, this isn't going to be my thing? And you were actually kind of surprised.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on, you know, if I'm not like a huge fan of like the genre or what the story is, I mostly just go and look at like, okay, what is this film trying to do? And... Can it do it right? Right. And um, I guess um, a recent film that I think uh, I went into not that excited for was there's a film called The Exception. Uh-huh. Um, it's also known as like a, the Kaiser's last kiss or something like that, because it's about this this love affair between a Nazi and a Jew during um, uh, during an investigation of like the Kaiser. And uh, it sounds like fairly typical soapy war drama stuff, but it was actually surprisingly like like erotic especially for like a lot of these romance films that tend to like half ass it on like um on like the romance and sex scenes and it's like the, this one actually took me by surprise
0: okay okay like uh like an english patient kind of thing
1: uh, some like that but I, but you but you like the characters more <laughs> yeah that was <laughs> a thing in that film for sure yeah
0: uh, so the name of this show is Craft of Services. We're still a newest show, so I'll tell people what we're all about. Okay. Um, it actually began as a segment on my show, the Just Enough Trope podcast, where we looked at, like I said before, movies that for some reason were not uh, rated highly by critics, but people seem to remember and enjoy. I think probably the early example would be something like Teen Wolf, which is below 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, but everybody remembers Teen Wolf. Like, it's, it's Teen Wolf. It's fun. And so we wanted to look into what the... What the industry sort of pressures are or just audiences and how they relate to critics or how critic aggregation leads to this phenomenon. Um, it's more fun than I'm making it sound. Uh, we'll yeah. be looking at some of those films uh, for this show. And the big rule on the show is, is that the films we pick, uh, with few if any exceptions, have to be rated 49% or below on Rotten Tomatoes or on Metacritic and it has to be a film that is remembered fondly or at least one that you or someone you know would, you know, die defending. Um, This might be a big... Uh, exception because I don't think anybody would die to defend this. They might die to not have to see it, uh, the film that we're going to talk about. Um, Before we go on, I want to state for the record, this show is not in the pocket of Big Tomato. We don't endorse Rotten Tomatoes. We're not connected to them. Uh, In fact, this show might end up being a fairly solid repudiation of Rotten Tomatoes and aggregating reviews as a practice. As a critic yourself, what do you think of sites like Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and so on?
1: I mean, they're they're an aggregate, and you you got to look at it through yeah. like the numbers. I mean, yeah, it could be at nine ninety percent, but ninety percent of those people might just thought eh, it, it was okay. Sure, especially right. since you know they they have a really tough time trying to, uh, like the 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 biggest problem they have with is like the ratings that are like two and a half stars. Yeah, uh, because typically two and a half stars can mean anything. It can mean like you thought it was okay, or you thought it was bad, or you thought it was in the middle, and then it's hard to determine if it's rotten or not. So it's. Kind of kind of pointless in that aspect.
0: Yeah. And you have to trust their interpretation, too, because the reviewer could be talking about it as, um, you know, it's a it's so bad it's good, you know, or it's a it's a bad movie, but it was enjoyable. And they might just hear bad, bad, bad and think, well, that's that's a rotten review. But they might be sort of praising it as, you know, being fun trash.
1: Yeah, it 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 very much determines who who is actually um, who is reading and who looks at numbers.
0: Well, I think critics are in complete agreement on the gem that we'll be checking out today. Uh, It sits at zero, zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a score of 19 and 3.6 on Metacritic and IMDb, respectively. Today, we're talking about the 2002 film, and I use that term extremely loosely, Ballistic X vs. Sever, starring Antonio Banderas and Lucy Liu and directed by Chaos.
1: No, no, no. you got to say the full name. I want to hear you pronounce his name.
0: I'm going to try. Um, first of <laughs> all, uh, his first name is uh, Witch, I believe, and his last name is Keo Sayanata, Yeah, which, you got it. <laughs> yes, uh, which, I, as far as I understand, is his actual name. He is uh, a Thailand man uh, who's mm-hmm. directed this That's about it. He's directed some other um, sort of lesser-known films. Um, I think the last couple films that he's done, he seems to be hooked up with Dustin Nguyen, who was uh, on Jump Street, 21 Jump Street, Mm -hmm. and is doing (laughs) direct-to-video type films. But that's pretty much it. I think this was his kind of one shot. And we can talk about how he got that shot and... um, Uh, the uh, production company as well, Franchise Pictures, and why this thing exists in the first place. But we'll get to that uh, a little bit later. Um, I know I said a few minutes ago that we cover films that critics hated but audience loved. This is not one of those films. (laughs) Nobody really (laughs) remembers this movie except for being just so bad. But we had to do a show on it because it's widely regarded as the worst film ever made, or to give it its due, the worst reviewed film ever made. Going by mm-hmm. that Rotten Tomatoes yardstick, you know they collected 116 critic reviews of the film, and they're all negative. So it got the most people all to agree, it's not good. And I'm actually surprised that more films aren't 0% or extremely uh, low on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, you were talking about interpretation before. You even look at mm. something like the Emoji movie, which is at 7%. There must have been an upturned thumb somewhere in there. Or an arm and white, you know. yeah yeah, who just (laughs) throws the curve off for everybody yep (laughs) uh and not to defend this film because nobody can i mean it's it's really bad but if you read some of the reviews or excerpts from them a lot of times critics um aren't really i think engaging with the film and again i'm Mm -hmm. using film and engaging uh, as loosely as possible one critic uh i read the review and I'm assuming that this critic, she didn't enjoy the film, but she writes that it's an endless barrage of bullets and bazookas. And I can say with authority, it is not. It is not that thing. It might have been a no. better film if, if, if there was more mindless action, but it's just a stupefyingly boring
1: film. They so might have that... shot it that way, but yeah, right. <laughs> that's not exactly. what's up there.
0: Yeah. So in that case, it feels like the critic saw a bunch of guns and just said, oh, you know, mindless action flick.
1: Got it. How do you try to avoid cliche when you're reviewing? Is it something that you worry about? Um, not too much as long as you can try to find a make, make it like fun. I mean, yeah, you want to try to avoid like just saying like, like, oh, it's the typical thing, especially if you see it day in day out, you know, you got to try to find a fun aspect. And that's what I've seen with a lot of the, the reviews on this too, which I kind of agree with is like, they focus on, you know, just kind of more like, like the nitpickery of it. And it's like, you know, I don't really dig on like sins and stuff like that where you nitpick and (laughs) stuff like that. Yeah. But when everything is so Like chaotic and messy and boring in this film. Right. And it's (laughs) like chaos. but I mean yeah you end up like focusing on stuff that you really shouldn't and I mean like I I don't know if we want to (laughs) start looking at like what this film did wrong
0: well we're kind of doing it now yeah I guess we are before we really dive into it I wanted to say that you know I've I've written a few movie reviews I'm not really a critic but I've um, written some for the internet and whatnot and I always thought that the easiest and most fun part would be to come up with the bad Gene Shalit like pun title for the review oh oh, I I (laughs) try to avoid those oh I, I I love that. Like, um, ballistic should be fired out of a cannon, you know, or the circle is pretty square. But as it turns out, as I was writing them, I would spend hours agonizing over getting the tone of the pun right. Like, am I really giving it to this movie or am I conveying that I thought that it was a troubled production? And then my
1: editor would just throw my titles away anyway, so it wouldn't matter. When it comes to this ballistic movie, you can put an X next to my recommendation and (laughs) sever me from that list. Right. There you go they should sever the director's head from his body
0: yeah that sort of thing <laughs>
1: yeah. uh,
0: well right from the start uh, we're in trouble as this movie starts um, maybe you can comment on this i'm sure you've seen more films than i have but i have this theory that um there's a certain there's a, probably like a x number of ways that you can open a film and a lot of times when a director opens one in a um kind of new original way uh we we look at that and go oh that's interesting like um The milk scene, you know, in in Inglorious Bastards. But there are kind of some stock ways to open a film. And whenever a film opens over water, that shot, you know, where it's a helicopter shot, usually looking at the water and then you, the camera rises to see the city or whatever. I, almost always that's going to be a bad film, at least in my estimation. Um, opening voiceover is never very good. Um, overlong title cards, like after the robot holocaust or, or whatever. Yeah, And do this is have... like
1: post-production stuff. this That's when you know yeah. it's bad because right. this stuff had to be in there to explain this mess.
0: Right, yeah. <laughs> and no real creative choice was made to do that. Do, do you have any signposts that you see at the beginning of a film and you think, oh boy, I'm in first log?
1: Uh usually that that's the first big thing if there's if there's an overly long title card. Like yeah. the longest one I think I've ever seen was for Yui Bulls Alone in the Dark. Oh my god. <laughs> like it's a it's a novel of text they give you at the beginning.
0: How much do you need <laughs> to know about it alone in the dark?
1: Uh well he actually put that up after because he think people wouldn't understand all the, the, the monsters and the history of it. So he just put up this <laughs> wall of text. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the whole point of adapt. So that's adapt. Um, is that a remake of an earlier film or an, an adaptation of something?
1: It's a video game movie. Yep. Oh,
0: oh, that's right. Okay. Okay. So yeah, the whole point of adapting something like a video game is you don't necessarily need to bring all that in. You can just kind of start it up.
1: Y- you sh- you should. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, one exception that I can just think of uh, just off the top of my head is like Blade Runner does have a title card that is long enough that it has to scroll. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that movie, I think, turned out OK for most people or like Star Wars. They get out of jail on that because the whole thing is supposed to be, you know, a reference to old serials where there were 20 other episodes or something that you didn't see. And so maybe you needed to be caught up
1: right and and it it sets the tone well enough, like if it tells you something that you you need to know about like the setting just like a brief thing, you know that that's fine, you know th- like Star Wars does it so they can get like all the the exposition out of the way, yeah. Blade Runner did it, so you know you, you knew what replicants were, so you weren't questioning who was what and what what are they supposed to be, yeah. just like very tertiary information,
0: yeah, um, so let's talk about this film and let's talk about the cast of the film um I I was trying I was going back through like my memory and through IMDb and trying to figure out where these stars were Antonio Banderas and Lucy Liu in their careers. I and I don't think that they were at a point in their career where they should have done this film. Like Antonio Banderas you look at his career, <clears throat> he shows up in Mambo Kings in, like, 93 or 94, and it seems like he's going to be, like, a big thing. You know, he shows his action chops in, like, Desperado and Zorro, and it looks like he's going to be, I don't know, the Spanish Denzel or whatever. And in a few short years, he's just the guy in Spy Kids movies. Like, what happened to him?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's bizarre, and I think it's one of those things where, um, where you, they were at that point where they could star, where you could just headline them. And I think yeah. that that's what, yeah. They were trying to go with like with it with X versus Sever. It's like, oh, it's it's Manderis versus Lucy Lou. Oh yeah. And they were kind they, ki- they were kind of big enough at the time where you could sell that. That's where the financing came from for sure, probably. Oh yeah, because uh, um, I haven't looked too deeply on like how much they they spent on this, but it was it was a clearly a huge joint venture. It was
0: which, seventy seventy million dollars.
1: Yeah. It it cost yeah it was seventy million dollars, which seems like most of that's up on the screen um i i I guess i mean most of it
0: (laughs) yeah you look at this film and i wonder how it could have cost 70 million dollars because the whole thing the the sets every scene every setup everything is so bare it looks like like an office training video that you'd watch like an orientation video like there's just nothing going on there are very few there's one scene in a mall where you've got some like extras and bystanders, but otherwise it everything yeah. just looks like all right we've got one, two three principals let's shoot a scene and keep moving
1: yeah, it's like they they have that scene with like the the shootout in the street with Lucy Liu, and I'm like I, <laughs> it just goes on and on well, I kept thinking about like that scene like in the heat where uh, the the film the heat where they did it so well where they were running through the street and you could see civilians in the background you could hear some of like the like the gunfire and the audio here right. and and then ballistic it's just it's it's all over the place. There's slow motion shots that don't hook up. There's uh, right, there's right. long shots that don't hook up. There's and it's there's, not even
0: good slow mo. It's just they've take they've slowed the film down and taken frames out or whatever. So just it's that sort of like choppy slow motion.
1: Yeah, it's sort of like here's like here's close up shots, here's long shots, and here's explosion shots, and here's slow motion shots, and just like okay, edit them together somehow. Right.
0: That's the one thing that I wanted to actually sort of uh, reward the film on is that I felt like, yeah, I mean, it's shot just so incompetently, but I think the the editing is actually not not too bad. Um, it was edited by, and I'm trying to remember if I can uh, remember the guy's name, uh, Jay Cassidy, uh, who has worked a lot with uh, David O. Russell. He's done like almost all of David O. Russell's, um films, and so he's been nominated for a couple Oscars. But I can just see him mm-hmm. getting all this stuff. You know, at the end of the day or whenever and just being like, oh, my God. OK, all right. Let's see what I can do. And he actually turns out like a fairly cohesive or at least coherent. You know what's going on in these scenes. It's not very exciting. But yeah. like you, you can kind of you can basically tell what's happening.
1: Yeah, you can tell the, the editor went off on his own to try to make these <laughs> yeah. scenes work. He, he should have got the director's credit. Yeah, uh, there's a, well, let's keep
0: talking about the cast. Uh, Lucy Liu. OK, Lucy Liu. I don't, she'll never hear this. Maybe somebody can send it to her, but retire. It's time to retire. And I think that she is looking at that. She hasn't really had a big acting thing in a while. I know that she is moving into directing now, which kind of like really fills me with dread. But hey, a lot of directors can't act, so she can't act. Maybe she can direct. That's what I'm thinking here. But she just Mm -hmm. does not even, both her and Banderas, at least Banderas... He's not. If he, he doesn't really show up, uh, you know. But at least he's got the the world weary uh, thing works for his character. Like he maybe doesn't want to do the film, but it kind of works for like. Well, his character doesn't want to, you know, be alive or deal with whatever this is. He feels
1: but, more natural even when he looks bored. Yeah, I guess right. That's... Be, yeah, because he's a talented
0: guy. But Lucy Liu is just. She is completely. She is a block of wood. There is nothing there.
1: Yeah, and it's it's hard to tell, kind of like if you know if that's just you know terrible direction or, or if she just didn't want to be there. It might yeah. might be a little bit of both.
0: Yeah, but I got to say I've never really liked her in pretty much anything that I'm, that I've ever seen. I'm trying to think of what the what's the real tour de force the Lucy Liu performance?
1: Uh, <laughs> Kung Fu
0: Panda, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, maybe voice acting is the way to go. But, um, and. It, the rest of the cast, I mean, there's there's not, not really any standouts. Um, the the supposed main villain is played by Greg Henry, um, aka Peter Quill's grandpa, and I usually like him when he shows up and stuff. But mm-hmm. I don't really know what they were going for. He there's this weird connection between him and you know X played by Banderas in that he's married the guy's why they, we can we don't it's, have to go it, we i almost kind of usually i don't want to like go sloggingly through the plot on these shows but if we did i'm not sure if we would figure out what the plot was by the time we were done no and because, it's
1: it's needlessly convoluted for what is yeah. presented here it's like when there isn't like ridiculously shot action going on here there's these <laughs> scenes of like uh, of plot twists just to keep you interested
0: yeah it's both incredibly shallow and almost completely impenetrable at the same time because he fakes both he he almost kills Antonio Banderas but also fakes his death as well so Antonio thinks his wife is dead and his wife thinks Antonio's dead which is like the most complicated way to cl- cockblock somebody uh, there's ever been like so, <laughs> so now he marries Antonio Banderas' wife but i guess she doesn't know he's alive uh, and they have a kid but it's Antonio's kid i guess so yeah I, there's just there's not a lot going on there the best part you get out of uh, Greg Henry is that Um, apparently you can do this as a government official, but one of his uh, underlings fails him uh, near the beginning of the film. And so he (laughs) tells the guy to shoot himself and the whole time I'm watching the scene, I'm like, well, just shoot him. Why would you? So he does, of course, but the gun is designed to fire backwards and shoots him in the head, which is is so stupid, but at least they were trying something. Do you know what I mean? Like if the entire film had had that weird... Um, maybe in like flinty kind of like ridiculous, anything can happen uh, sort of air to it. It, it. I don't know. It might've gone somewhere.
1: Yeah. It, if it, if it went all out with its action, you know, if it tried to be like stupid, kind of like shoot them up there where it kind of like, kind of yeah. winked at the audience it kind of knew it was trying to be ridiculous. It would have been fun. Uh, but you just get the fact that you just get like this, this idea that like chaos was probably looking at it going, going, going like, Oh, it's, it's going to be amazing action films. Like, I'm just trying to think like, cause I've seen a lot of these like, thai action films yeah, and they right. seem like they're you know they're like the canon era never died for them it's just like crank up the action <laughs> as hard as you right. can right what is the plot uh, I, I i don't know like one of my favorite Thai films is uh, one called um, born to fight which is all it's, it's a very stupid plot about a bunch of terrorists that are want to fire a missile out of a thai village and uh and so the villagers start attacking the terrorists and they essentially it basically turns into jim kata
0: yeah, I've heard about this. It's like they set that whole thing up and then like halfway through the film, it just turns into this huge brouhaha between the villagers and the terrorists all just killing each other.
1: Yeah, it's like missile going to blow up city. I don't care. Some guy is beating people up with his rugby skills. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a, there are some really great uh, Thai action films, uh, you know, like Ang Bak and, and stuff like that. And so I can see how, again, I, I'd love to know the life story of chaos, but it just seems like he's a kind of an also-ran who Mm -hmm. accidentally made it um, to Hollywood. Um, Before we talk about him, though, I just want to finish up real fast. Uh, This movie has Ray Park in it. He plays the... uh, Yep. um, Darth Maul himself. He plays the Prince of Darkness, the uh, sort of uh, head bad guy under the uh, Clark... or the uh, Greg Henry character. And you know why they make him silent in films and why he wears a lot of uh, masks and makeup and costumes because... He can't act at yeah. all, like at all, like it's, it's laughably, laughably bad, and I feel really bad for him, because when he does something like, speaking of fun, trashy films, when he's like Snake Eyes in G.I. Joe, it's awesome, like he can oh. act very well with his body, but when he talks, man, oh, it does not work out well.
1: Yeah, especially for, I mean, th- this type of film, which they were trying to sell as, you know, it's early 2000. So they're trying to sell it as like Matrix cool. Yeah. yeah. And and when you fail at Matrix cool, it's really embarrassing.
0: You fall hard. Yeah, she uh, and his fight scene with Lucy Liu, which is supposed to be like the big, you know, fight scene um, near the climax before they kill the big bad guy. They fight this guy. Yeah, uh, she he she makes him look bad. Like, he's trying his best to kind of pull her through this film. but you know, And that's, that's on the director. That's on the choreographer. You know, shoot around it. But there's so many shots where somebody will kick somebody and then the camera will show their feet. And why are we seeing their feet? Are they going to do a cool footwork thing? Nope, you just see two pairs of feet. And yep. then it goes to, like, the next shot. And it's like, what? what is going on with any of this?
1: Look, the editor is trying to make this work. He's just—he's he's, doing his best.
0: Yeah he's, yeah.
1: he's in his suite just, like, taping it together like, oh, God.
0: <laughs> I also wanted to mention uh, he's not in the movie for long, but uh, character actor Miguel Sandoval is in this. He plays uh, X's former FBI boss. And he's a pretty good... I'm, I'm trying to think of something that you would really know him from. You've definitely seen him before. He's been in a lot of stuff. And he's a he's a character actor who... You probably normally recognize his uh, mustache or his sort of goatee facial hair. In this, he's totally clean-shaven. And it took me forever to figure out that, oh, that's that's Miguel Sandoval... But I know why he wears that mustache and that goatee now, because he has, like, no chin. Like, his yeah. his face just goes from his nose to his neck. And so he just looks really weird. So they couldn't even get the facial hair right in this film. No. Let the, <laughs> let the guy have his mustache and his goatee. Come on. Try a new look, look for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to be clean-shaven. You work for the government. Come on. Well, uh, this movie was produced uh, by, like I said before, Franchise Pictures. And I was looking at some of the other films that they... Um, that they produced and they seem to be sort of a, I don't know, like a sort of modern Canon in a way.
1: Somewhat. Yeah. They, they, well, you get the feeling like, yeah, they, they approach these films with like the Canon approach, which is just like, like, Oh, it will be great. There'll be, will be big action. Lots of, lots of explosions. Right. Uh, right. Plot pl- pl- will be stupid, but no one cares. Right. <laughs> and
0: one, they have a lot of uh, golden raspberry, like uh, nominations. Um, one of the uh, main uh, producers or owners—it's uh, defunct now. It's gone. But he was a uh, like a nightclub owner and a real estate guy. So, that's where the money comes from. And they um, they footed the bill for uh, Battlefield Earth after uh, you know Travolta took it around everybody and nobody wanted to make it. They made that. Um, if you know what's, you'll know this. I know you'll know this. Okay. Um, the the documentary, the name of the documentary that is the story of how Boondock Saints got made. Oh. Um overnight i believe it's called yeah Yeah. overnight that's it yeah they well anyway they made boondock saints um if you just look through the rest of their thing it's things like you know fear.com and um uh the whole nine yards is kind of one of their weird successes you know because
1: lightning in a bottle yeah
0: yeah right yeah exactly but like half past dead which is the um is that the seagal uh, yeah. Ja Rule movie. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's just things like that. And I didn't look into it too deeply, but there was, um, they did get sued a couple times because uh, some of the distributors were saying that they were like inflating budgets and not delivering on what they said. Uh, which, when you look at this film, which is, it looks like a, um, not even like a CBS series, like a, um, like a CW series that's shot in Canada, like cause the whole thing is shot in Canada. You wonder yeah. where all that money went. Like how could it cost $70 million?
1: Uh, I'm guessing either cause the star talent or they had to keep shooting explosions or cause they had to keep yeah. on hiring, <laughs> hiring the editor back.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. I, like, I don't know how much pyrotechnics like really cost in a real world sense, but yeah, it, I, there's a, a lot of explosions in the film. Like uh, most of the money, you're seeing it burning on the screen probably,
1: Especially if you're, there's one particular shot where an explosion goes off too early and all the debris goes straight in Banderas' face. <laughs> and there's a big close-up of it and, like, they had to, like, call in, like, like medical people and everything. And it's just oh, like, no. like, oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> there's, yeah, well, there's a plot point or just a point in the story where he tries to use a um, a landmine as an offensive weapon. Yeah. <laughs> like... Like the bad guys coming up on him, they're in this train yard, and he reveals that he's standing on a landmine, and they're like, "Oh shit!" And then he runs away, and they run away. Why not just put the landmine where they were going to walk? <laughs> they they did, they weren't checking for mines. You could have blown them up right
1: there because that that because then you don't have the 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 build up to it. It's like we have to point out that the landmine is there and then it then <laughs> right. It explodes.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. And apparently he is um, suicidal. One uh, thumbs up I can give to this film is that I um, watched it at home and I was able to pause it. Uh, there's a part where And it's called X versus Sever, and they fight each other for, like, four minutes in the film. It it should be X works together with Sever. But they go to, like, hack into their respective databases and check each other out. And I paused it. I always like to pause and, like, read screen graphics. Somebody Mm -hmm. actually did their homework. Like, those, you know, they're all glitzy and, like, you know, 2002 computer graphics. But there's, like, a full dossier on both those characters that actually gives you more background than the movie actually does about these two characters.
1: Yeah, that there's there's a lot of stuff outside of of the plot of this film that makes it sound more intriguing than it really is.
0: Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, especially
1: because um, there's... I think the best thing to come out of this film was there was a Game Boy adaptation of this there movie. Were, there were two, actually. Yeah, well, there was one that was so good and was apparently based on like an early version of the script Right. Uh, before yeah. they went to shooting, and it was so good that they made a sequel to it. Yeah, yeah. And like and, the cover... <laughs> Like most like video games they just like grab like the poster or whatever and put on there. They actually have like a 2D animation of the characters on there.
0: Okay, sure. Yeah, the <laughs> the first game actually made it to the market before the film actually came out. So is maybe this is kind of a video game adaptation of a film. I don't know.
1: Uh I think it's one of those things where it's like it was simultaneous like with like it was a similar thing with like Surf Ninjas. <laughs> right, <laughs> Surf Ninjas.
0: Oh, I knew you were a good person to have on the show. Um a lot of films, especially action films, are light on plot and so they fill it in with a ton of action. Uh and then some other films don't have a lot of cash, so they write like good scenes, like good dramatic scenes to make up for not being able to have nonstop action. This film blows it on both of those fronts. Because mm-hmm. there is a there's a ton of quote unquote action that is completely it's it's impossible to engage with, and then the parts where they do pump the story in, you're like, I don't understand what's going on. There's a little robot or something that's like in the, in the kid, or it's not in the kid, or the guy wants yeah. it back, or he put what? What is any of
1: this? It it goes and yeah, it goes back and forth between either like this this action melodrama that you don't want, or or a clunky action that you're you're trying to piece together like how they shot this and you're going back and forth between the two and you're like i i don't i just care that it's like switching gears at this point i don't care where it goes right yeah Yeah. exactly
0: exactly every take in the film feels like a first take to me like they all feel like you sure you don't want to do that again maybe just one more <laughs> for safety like mm-hmm. from uh bandera sort of sleepwalking through things to the lou fight scenes like everything just could have used more polish, and I don't really. But yet, there's some there's there's some things in the uh, the film that are clearly had so much attention and love. Like there's this shot where I don't know Lucy Lou blows a guy off at the top of a building, and we follow this guy in like POV as he falls <laughs> down to land on this car. And I'm, I've, i I I found myself kind of wondering how they did it. Like it's it's actually not that bad. I don't know why we would want to see a scene like this. Well, yeah, it's but it's not it's not bad. a terrible
1: it's not a terrible shot no but but the problem with that is though it's like it's it's not a terrible shot but it takes you out of the film because yeah we don't know why it's there <laughs> well, no because you get that shot where you're you're looking directly down at him you're staring at him while he's falling down yeah and he doesn't look like he's in peril it, or no, like he's just that he shot. Yeah. Right, yeah it's just right, like right. it's like okay i'll just like fall here and prepare for just smack on the ground here doesn't look like yeah. any peril or danger and that's that's generally why you want to shoot stuff like that from afar and not get really close cuz
0: Yeah, right. And the whole thing is it's clearly shot at like half speed. And I don't mean the film. I mean like it's running at full speed, but they are pretending while it's happening that it is happening in slow motion because he eventually hits the quote-unquote hits the car and they must have just, you know, I, it's actually a pretty good effect. Like, I don't really know how they did it. They must have just blown all the windows out because it looks like he's hit the car. But the whole time he's kind of like, oh, he's flailing in that stuntman way. And he's kind of like, pretend like you're in slow motion, but we're not really doing it in slow motion. It just, yeah. I I wonder what film school chaos uh, went to and dropped out of.
1: Well, I think, like, yeah, he didn't want to, like, put in flailing because it would look like – look silly and everything but
0: right this is serious this is a real thing
1: but it's it's a guy falling off a building you can't she she, right
0: she does she does kill a lot of canadians in this film
1: i have to say so many vancouver people (laughs) killed this fbi struggle
0: depop yeah in the fbi uh american fbi struggle um a lot of the fight scenes have a weird slow pace to them i wouldn't normally say this but here's an easy trick speed it up just speed the film up yeah if you've got um, Banderas and Lou, two you know early middle age or middle age actors who are doing a fight scene and aren't trained, you just use cuts. It's the kind of thing we complain about in like you know triple A action films. But this is this is your bread and butter. This is where you would do it. That's that's what you would do. Maybe you can't speed it up because the movie would only be like 75 minutes long. But that's how you cover like bad choreography, and they don't even bother to do that.
1: Yeah, just it, yeah, it definitely feels like, a, and that's when you can see when it was rushed and everything in there. Especially like when they they set up like these huge like like city street scenes. You don't see anyone, barely anyone around there because they couldn't afford extras, or they couldn't wrangle right. extras, right. Uh, and, it, and it just it's weird that it looks barren because like Vancouver is usually pretty hustling over there, and it looks like they're kind of like <laughs> shooting. It, it almost kind of looks like they were shooting in like Chicago. It's like you know how like you know when. When they'll shoot films in like Vancouver, you know, they'll try to stage just to make it look like New York or Chicago or, or California right. or whatever. So right. it actually takes place in Vancouver and it looks like they do their <laughs> yeah. best to make it look not like Vancouver. Right. And it's, I mean, it's clearly, it looks like Canada,
0: but all they have to do is just keep a straight face. But there's actually one part where um, Antonio or somebody says, like, oh, Vancouver PD is on this one. So you guys just <laughs> give it away right there. Like, clearly you're comfortable with it being said in Vancouver. Maybe you had to – you got some subsidy from the city and you had to mention that beautiful Vancouver is the location of this film.
1: That, that's how you get more money from it because it's – I guess so. That's how we get the so. $70 million.
0: <laughs> that's why they. That's why they let you film these incredibly slow motorcycle chases on the uh, turnpikes of your great nation there.
1: And like especially like the, the whole – I don't know, like the, the whole thing of like – he's essentially like transporting like what, like a nanobot?
0: Yeah, the little kid has this. Yeah, it's like an assassin nanobot that can make you look like you've had a heart attack.
1: But it's like, but if they're trans, it doesn't make sense why you transferred the kid. It's a nanobot; you can stash it in anything.
0: Right, exactly. (laughs) But he, I guess, he knew that the little kid would be on, you know, a private jet, and they wouldn't screen him or something. I don't know. You're right; it's a nanobot. Who's going to find it? It doesn't make any sense. There, there are certain things that they clearly just went. "Eh, Who cares? And then there's other things that they clearly set up. As check this out, like the the falling guy we talked about. Mm. There's also, I think, um, like I said before, they clearly wanted to, and maybe they couldn't afford like good stunt people, but they wanted to you to see that the stars were doing stuff in this film. So you've got these fight scenes like between Antonio and and Lucy Liu, um, where it's like, no, no, these are the real guys. There's a one scene where she she's running from Antonio. She gets in this like you know '80s Mustang. And then she try, she runs over him basically in an alley. And mm-hmm. there's this short little cut before we cut to the stunt guy going over the thing, where Antonio is hopping up, you know, on the hood of this car. He's being hit by the car. But it's so much slower than the subsequent cut cut to the actual stunt man. So she kind of slowly runs Antonio Banderas over. It's oh my like, goodness. But just don't do that. <laughs> just you, you could have just not done that. Yeah. You could have just been a guy with a wig on and a trench coat the entire time
1: yeah that, that yeah it again reinforces the whole thing, like no, no, no,, no time, no time, like was it was yeah. like, uh the u s, Canada, and uh, how many <laughs> other countries were involved with the same like they, they want the movie now they want big yeah. action
0: and and yeah, and they did the way that they just wanted, no, no, I've got this idea it it reminds me almost of um, are you familiar with Neil Breen? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say that this is, uh, I wouldn't do that to anybody, but I don't want to say this is like Neil Breen level, but there are certain things that are so important, like, no, no, I've got to put this in, people have to see this. They're just elements of this film that reminded me of that. It's like, you could have easily just taken the easy way out. Hollywood has been making movies like this for so long now, just do that thing, but they're like, no, we need to put this in, and we have to see a guy falling off a roof and landing on a cop car for some reason.
1: Yeah, you get the sense that it's it's a it's a good tie director who just like succumbed to, you know, the, the, the commercial demands of everything. It's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, we're, we're spending like $70 million on this. Like you better turn out something good for this like, 90 minute movie. Yeah. It's yeah. like, Oh, I I better play it safe. Put in lots of explosions. let a slow motion, but the, the, the matrix is still so popular. <laughs> cool. I'll slow motion.
0: Right. And then just shoot like a sort of mid or like close up of Lucy Lou, uh, firing a mounted machine gun. And then just cut to, you know the other side could be anywhere guys are just falling down there's no relationship to like how what she's doing is like affecting people she killed so many canadians so much maple <laughs> syrup was spilled that day um i want to talk you mentioned the matrix before and i want to talk about like what i call the matrix syndrome which everybody was infected with after 1999 mm-hmm. um how do you think that or or maybe i guess i just want your general comments on The Matrix Syndrome, this thing I've just introduced (laughs) to you, but just the idea that something popular comes along and everybody wants to do it. And some people do it well, and then we get like uh, equilibrium or something like that. Um, How do you think that that sort of echoed or rippled through Hollywood um, for the next five or ten years? Because you're seeing it
1: here for sure. Well, it was, you know, it was going for like that, that quick cash of everything where it's like, it's, it's, it's not, you know, like a personal vision. I mean, like for for like something like, like Neil Preen, it's a screw up, but it's his personal screw up. Uh, When you screw up with like this, it's, it's just kind of like, it's like a guessing game. It's like, oh, oh, this probably works. So let's keep on doing it. And like, we kept on doing the whole bullet time effect until like 2003, Right. And it's like and and it's 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 a bet. Like it's not like some like personal thing because
0: That's a great point. There is no bullet time in this. You think that there would be the gap commercial camera moves or like we'll do a POV like follow
1: a bullet as it traverses no. into somebody. None of that is in this. That's that's way too expensive because it, when you want to do bullet time like it takes a lot of time and effort to get like those those shots going. Um I mean like <laughs> Like Yui Bull did overdid it in House of the Dead, but I guarantee right. you that's where his entire budget went to. Right, just right. Having these like get the, the camera pan around uh, for the bullet time effect here and just just overuse it as as much as you can here. Um, not probably not a lot of time for that when you have like s- slow motion shots. and You're trying to blow up half of Vancouver, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, trench coats are cheap. Uh, those uh, bullet time shots, not
1: so much. Yeah but uh, I don't think we see that many trench coats in there either. Well she does have she, she she does uh, have the, the yeah the um, She's
0: got a purple <laughs> like a per- she's low profile so she's a spy she's got a purple trench coat.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not not as yeah not, not as much like like tight leather though cuz like with, with the thing is like with, with tight leathers it feels like they're so constricting and everything you get the feeling like like, why don't we hear like more like the, you know, like the rubbing of leather and like these the action creaking. The right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like you're walking out of a Wilson's store. Yeah.
1: That's, that's um, the one thing I wanted out of the matrix There, I wanted to have like that one film that approached it awkwardly, like <laughs> where, where bullet time made you look ugly and where wearing leather just sounded like you were the most annoying person in the room.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can like jump, uh, you know, across a building a gap in buildings and like dive through a window, but you're going to be squeaking and squawking the whole way. (laughs) Um, Can you think of anything good that happened in this film? Anything you could take away from this and go, all right, that that was all right. Um,
1: I could kind of see some a little bit of creativity in the scenes, like where uh, Banderas tries to sit himself up by firing a gun into the ground. (laughs) Yeah. and like and that's like that's like where you get like a hint of like something like shoot 'em up where it's like okay he's they're trying like in like bits and pieces here where you can sense like i can almost sense like the director is struggling to make a better film outside of all the special effects and all the stunts that he has to stage yeah um yeah. so i i almost kind of pity the film but like he probably got paid a lot of money so not really so well yeah no kidding
0: um uh, yeah, I thought that, uh, I agree, I think there were a couple spots where, I mean, like, once again, the for me, the guy falling off the thing, and we're just following him, out, following him all the way down, that's just emblematic of the what worked and didn't work for this film, and I think that there are little flashes like, um, I don't know, in, you know, so they have guns, they're going to kill everybody, it's ballistic, but she, like, shoots a thing and then, like, electrocutes some guys in the train station. Um and that's a different way to, to kill people. You know, the the whole mind scene that we mentioned, I don't think it makes a lot of sense, but it was, I think, their attempt to kind of do something. Also, you know, they blew up a lot of money in this, but there were some scenes that I thought were really cool and would have taken a lot of, um, like, organization. Like, when they're first, um, the bad guys run into the train yard and they're first blowing up all the trains, okay. there's a scene where... Um, Antonio hasn't really engaged the bad guys. He's kind of walking around the outside of the fight. You know, he's kind of like walking between the trains. Right. And there's one scene where he. They blow something up, and then we cut to, like, the inside of what must be a um, conductor's car or something, and he's kind of walking down the hallway, and behind him, there's a huge explosion going off, but you only see it through the very small porthole of the thing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which would have been really expensive, and it's like, why bother? But they were like, no, no, we want to, you know, it, it's kind of cool. Like, we want to show that he's, he's, he's. you know, he's crossed the line. He's ready to blow all these guys up, and he's kind of taking his time, and... Um, Normally, you just try to put all the money on the screen, but they clearly blew something up, and it wasn't even the the center, uh, the focus of the shot, which I thought was like, all right, that's kind of ballsy.
1: Yeah, I mean, for, from a from a technical aspect, if you know, if you could like peer through what the what the editor was working with here, there's some yeah, there's some capable stunts. Like the explosions are pretty good. Um, yeah. If you look at them in like bits and pieces and clips, but yeah, but that's <laughs> that, that's the problem. It's like you're like yeah, well, this section is kind of neat, or this this shot is really neat. But you never, but there was never a point where I was like like oh, this sequence is really great, or that yeah. this whole chase is going. It's like oh, that one shot looked kind of cool, or this one explosion looked pretty cool. Yeah, and then it, and then it just just goes back to you know the the melodrama of of, of family affairs and nanobots and <laughs> right
0: right. Yeah, every, that's a good point about the action scenes. Every action scene has maybe one or two good things and then like 12 speed bumps that just bring it to a dead halt Like, while you're trying to enjoy like an action scene. Um, I've It's no surprise why critics hated this. Um, I have long suspected, and maybe you could confirm this for me, but do you as a critic avail yourself of the opportunity to really wind up on a film
1: that is clearly going to be bad and has no artistic value? Uh, it, it, it depends. Like if, if I can see there's something going on here, I tend to go easy on it. And again, it, it depends on like the film too. Like if, if, if X versus sever was, you know, like some small, like tie production, they spent like 10 million on and sure. I'd be like, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. But you know, it's $70 million. They got big name stars. It's by, uh, by this, this huge, huge company and they were clearly making it just for money and that it doesn't feel like there's a lot of thought put in here. Uh, th- then I then I kind of dogpile on it because like if if you can Gloves sense off, like the yeah. yeah if you can sense that the director really wasn't trying with this like or if like it was just going for like the safe beats or adhering to like studio executives you know you got to let them know like no that this this shit can't stand
0: right that reminds me of um you you saying like um uh, or calling up the image of a scrappy filmmaker just trying to make something like El Mariachi isn't like a great film but it's amazing that a guy made it on his credit cards you know he made it for like you know eight thousand dollars or whatever and then he got a chance to make a bigger one and he made desperado which again is not a fantastic film but really does what he wants to do like he you know it is it's the movie that he wanted to make when he only had his credit cards
1: it's it's personal because it's it's your money up there so you want to make it your original
0: no (laughs) kidding and this they are totally not playing with their own money uh Well, I, at this point in the show, um, I have a segment that I've been deciding whether or not I'm going to keep it, but it's called Pick of the Patch, where I look at some of the reviews from Rotten Tomatoes of the film. Um, they're all going to be negative, of course. Uh, somebody said, one of the top critics said... Uh, the film is almost completely uninvolving as well as being impenetrable. And it's hard to argue with that. Uh, A critic for USA Today said, for years, people have joked about an action movie that might eliminate plot altogether and simply cut to the pyrotechnics. Someone has finally done it. It's hard to argue (laughs) with that summation.
1: Well, I've noticed that, yeah, with a lot of those reviews, most of them go straight for uh, the... It's just straight for, like, you know, what didn't work in the film as opposed to, like, you know, finding some witty line to put in there because I I get the feel like they were struggling and they just they didn't want to put that much effort. Like even Roger Ebert's big quote from from his review is just saying like it's called X versus Ever, but you know they don't really fight each other uh until the towards the end of the film and by then they're essentially just working with each other. And right. and it takes them a long time to figure that out and it takes a long time for the audience to figure that out.
0: I have to say I, I did like that When uh, so Lucy Liu, (laughs) we again, we didn't go through the plot, but who cares? Lucy Liu kidnaps this kid at the beginning of the film. Uh, And then she has to take care of him, apparently, while she's also fighting and killing people. I hope she left somebody, like, a note so if she gets killed, like, they'll find this kid. But she keeps bringing him dinner, and we get a close-up of the dinner at one point, and it's mac and cheese. It's in a little, like, uh, high school lunch tray. It's mac and cheese, and then it's, like, five different hostess cakes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, okay, that's kind of cute. Like, she's, you know, giving the kid a little sugar. Wasn't she a mom? Isn't that what this is all about? Like, she would understand how to feed a child
1: amnesia bullets
0: amnesia bullets <laughs>
1: <laughs> that has to be why everyone keeps forgetting this stuff or why they don't know or why they couldn't figure out why where the wife was or the kid was or why the nano right. machine was
0: <laughs> right or maybe there's just no uh there's no uh supermarket near her lair it's just a like a bp down the street or something that's got uh, some hostess pies um would you recommend this film to anybody on even as a, a cautionary tale or an instructive sort of exercise.
1: Instructive, definitely, because um, because I think it, it's a very big case study of you know what the of what a director shoots and what can be presented on screen. Yeah, like I mean, like the, yeah, the big thing is with you know when they shoot the long shots and when they shoot the slow motion shots and how those don't connect and how you need to really really focus on like the technicals of like what's going to be your slow motion scene and what's what's going to be your fight scene here and how you want the characters to come off and also another big one in like fight choreography too like there's a scene where lucy lou starts uh smacking around like a bunch of soldiers with like two sticks and and it's just like her just kind of like passively walking like randomly (laughs) smacking them with sticks it's like yeah why isn't she kicking anyone she should be kicking someone in that scene. She's just kind of like passively walking around, just smacking people's sticks. <laughs> right.
0: Uh, I think that's a good point And I would agree. And I would probably have sort of a two-step recommendation, which is I recommend that you don't watch this film. But if you are a filmmaker or you're interested in the way that films are put together, yeah, I think it's a good look at for, you know, what not to do. And also just to see how $70 million can make this, can, can – Deliver something that, and I know that this was kind of becoming vogue um, at this time, like in the early aughts, um, like digital bullet hits and things like that. Yeah. Because now you've get you know you get digital blood and all that stuff. But for seventy million dollars, they couldn't even make their digital like bullet hits look real. There's a part where she's has this fully automatic gun and she's like you know shooting people behind ledges, and some of our main characters like Ray Park is up there and there's like oh shit she's gonna shoot us and they duck their heads down, and the worst. You know, basic package in After Effects, little, you know, dust pop sort of goes up. And that's like where the bullet hit. For $70 million, you could run a pneumatic tube through there and blow out a little a chunk of concrete or something like that if she's, you know, shooting guns at you.
1: Well, that, see, that that would require um, to hire an effects team. And, that, <laughs> that's, and here's the thing. That. That, that costs more money than to just go to one CG animator and say, hey, can you put a bullet in this scene? doesn't matter if it's good. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, it's got to be done 2 weeks, okay? Just just crank it out.
0: Yeah, so uh don't go ballistic for ballistic X versus Ever. See, I got it in at the end there. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> you could have used one of the other uh titles. Do you, do you know the other titles that the script went by? No, please please tell me. Uh apparently it had been floating around since like the 1980s and Jeez, among goodness. the other titles it had was um Legion and okay. Gunner So why
0: what? So very memorable
1: titles (laughs) here.
0: They went from completely non memorable to completely obtuse and like, because I remember ballistic X versus Sever. It doesn't mean anything at all, but I did. You do remember it, I suppose. Like oh,
1: X versus Sever. Wait, who is X versus who is X and Sever? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right.
0: We know they're ballistic though. We know that much. Uh, so that's it for this show. Uh, thanks for joining us. If you want to let us know how you felt about this film, you can tell us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash craft Remember, there's two S's in disservices, at least in the middle part. Also, we're on Twitter at, and check this out, at craft Disservice. Yeah, no S there. We ran into a character limit, but we're still there. We're also on iTunes. Search for Crafted Services there and subscribe, rate, and review us. You know the drill. We're also on Google Play, Stitcher, all that good stuff. When you subscribe, rate, and review to us on those services, it helps us out. You know how it works. Mark, where can people find you online?
1: Uh, They can find me on Twitter, I believe, madnessmark.com. I'm writing at moviespoon.com and twincitiesgeek.com and... Too many other sites here to list, uh, but that, (laughs) but those are those are the main ones. So you can find my work there. And where can they find your books? Uh, They can find them on Amazon or CreateSpace. Uh, Probably easier on Amazon. Yep.
0: All right, so check that out, and we are out. This is Aaron for Mark saying, "Keep it real."